and when we're, we're doing a lot of things, and it's as if, I believe, uh, the devil didn't get the memo that we were on vacation, Carmen. The devil didn't get the memo. I was thinking after all the running around we did at spring break and all the pressure and all the stuff we had to do, the devil was going to lay off for a few months, but he's not. He hasn't taken a break. He's been hitting hard and heavy this past week. So I'm grateful that my family and I get to be in God's house. Maybe you are too. I'm not quite sure uh, what's happening in your life. Perhaps you've had a victorious week, great things, or maybe, maybe you, uh, you've just got through a few difficult days. Whatever the reason, I want you to know that we call this place a sanctuary for a reason. We call it a sanctuary because when we come into the presence of God, we are protected under the cover of his wing. And in God's house, when we proclaim his name, we cast the devil and his negative influence away from here. That's why we sing. That's why we pray. That's why we read God's word. And if you want to join in with us, all you got to do is say amen at the appropriate time. <laughs> That's all you got to do. All right. Just say amen. Nod your head. If you don't really want to say something, say mm, like, like, like it tastes good. That works too. So it's good to be in God's house today. Amen. Yeah. Mm, feels good. It's good because, well, air conditioning. Hey, but also because God is here and he always keeps his word. He says when we are gathered in his name, he will be present. And when he is present, when he is present, he does not let you go without a blessing. Come on, that was your cue. <laughs> that was your cue. <laughs> when God is present and he meets with you, he does not let you go without a blessing. There you go. You're getting the hang of it. You'll be pros by the end of the sermon. In our conversation that I've been having with my church family here the last uh, several weeks, we've been talking about the book of Ephesians. So I'm going to just challenge you to get there right now. Ephesians, we're in Ephesians chapter 5. If you didn't bring a Bible, there's one in the pew in front of you. Or feel free to pull it up on your smartphones if that's how you do it. If you want to live tweet our sermon, go ahead. Uh, you can hashtag. I don't know what I'm talking about. Um, I don't even know what that is, but I, I thought it was going to be cool saying it. So just follow along with us. I'm going to go old school. Paper, paper, uh, uh, Ephesians chapter 5. We have been discussing the book of Ephesians because I think the book of Ephesians is a very significant book in our transition from just calling ourselves Christians to actually being Christians. It's a book that helps us direct the path, guide us in the basic in the daily activities of what it means to be a Christian. So if you would follow along with me, please, Ephesians chapter 5. If you're there, say amen. amen. And if you're not there yet, say praise the Lord. No, nobody's praising the Lord today? All right, I see how it is. I see how it is. Okay, Ephesians chapter 5, beginning with verse 1, and this is what it says. Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Amen. There we go. You're getting there. We go. You wait for that pause. You wait for the dramatic pause. Amen. You jump in there, okay? Uh, uh, Paul has been writing a fantastic book here in Ephesians. We've discussed it before, but I want to bring you up to speed if you ha just didn't happen to be here. Paul's been writing this fantastic, slightly out of character book in this particular letter. Now, we believe it's Paul who wrote these letters to the different churches. See, Paul was an itinerant preacher, an evangelist. He would travel to a region, stay there for some time, raise up a church but then he would continue on and he would leave certain people in charge. The deacons, that's what they call them, the elders of the church, they would caretake the church while he moved on. But he would often from time to time send a messenger with some encouragement and in certain cases he would write letters. The problem with the book of Ephesians is that it's so beautiful in the first few chapters that people don't think it was Paul who wrote it. See, Paul was more of a 
direct, uh, argumentative lawyer type. Um, that should be enough to explain it, because if, if some of you guys have tried to read Pauline's epistles, it's kind of like reading a legal document. There's a lot of commas, long sentences, and a therefores, and, and, and it's confusing at times. That's the way Paul wrote, because he was trying to convince a very educated group of people. Except, in the first part of Ephesians, he begins poetic. He, he starts writing these beautiful melodic phrases. One God, one spirit, one baptism. He's like a, like a, like a preacher. And, and in chapter 4, he says, if you could just, in chapter 3, he says, if you could just capture how high, how deep, how long the love of Jesus. And it's beautiful. So beautiful, in fact, that, that the scholars think, uh, I don't think this is Paul. It's not the way he writes. But as we get to chapter 5, good old Paul comes back, <laughs> as you'll see. So he's been writing this beautiful epistle, telling us how wonderful the love of God is, a God who is rich in mercy, a God who is rich in mercy. But now, Paul says, so therefore, be imitators of God's love. Live, live a life of love as Christ lived it, as he gave himself up as a sacrifice, a fragrant offering for us. But among you, now here comes Paul again. Now be careful here because it's about to get hot. So hold it with two hands in case it gets too hot. Among you, verse uh, 3, chapter 5, but among you there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity or greed because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be any obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person has any inheritance in the kingdom of God. And let nobody deceive you with empty words, because it is for those things that God's wrath comes down on those who are disobedient. So therefore, don't even associate with them. Okay, okay, you're like, ugh. We can get behind the how wide and how deep and how wonderful the love of Jesus. But now Paul is applying, applying all that to our actual living. I don't know if you caught this here. But Paul is addressing certain areas of our life that we don't normally like to talk about. Paul is addressing not the things that we are accustomed to addressing when it comes to Christianity. I don't know if you noticed that. But Paul doesn't here say, because God loves, loves you so much, so go to church, sing in the choir, and uh, do your Sabbath school quarterly, which, of course... Most of you guys don't know what that is. That's good. Um, but he starts right off the bat with sexuality. Now, if you're under the certain age and you don't want to hear this earmuffs, that's fine. But it's, it's, it's real. So it starts right off the bat. He says, but among you, there must not be any sexual immorality. At first glance, it's kind of confusing. He's talking about, let's imitate God's love. Let's be like children of God. And by the way, no sexual immorality. First thing he says, don't you guys think that's odd? Well, if you read the rest of his writings, you won't find it odd because he repeats it over and over again. It's like Paul isn't... I wouldn't call it obsessed, but it's just really focused on our sexuality. Makes you wonder why. Then he says, uh, or any kind of impurity, any kind of impurity or greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. And then he talks about the way we conduct ourselves when we speak. No obscenities, and that's cursing. And I'm sure you got that when you're a kid, right? You, you're not supposed to. You're not supposed to curse, right? Uh, 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 you know, my kids are still in that stage where they're like, ooh, 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 
she said, the teacher said, you know, certain words that have become commonplace in our language, uh, but, you know, we tell kids not to say. Um, and, uh, and Paul says, no foolish talk even. In fact, this is no coarse joking that it's, um, what do they call those? Um, bad jokes? Is it not bad jokes? Like, um, like not funny, dirty joke. Thank you, David. Uh, dirty jokes. Somebody was going to say it. Somebody was going to say it. <laughs> My fault. I, I roped him into that. He, he walked right into that. <laughs> Paul says, amongst you, there shouldn't be any kind of a cursing or, or foolish talk or dirty jokes. Kind of, kind of weird. Okay, why is this so significant? He continues, he says, let no one deceive you because anyone who has this kind of lifestyle, he says, has no inheritance in the kingdom of God. No immoral, impure, or greedy person has any kind of inheritance in the kingdom of God. It's a fascinating statement because he goes from this grandeur and this beauty and now he applies this not to what we normally see. Listen, not to what we normally see, but instead he's applying it to what comes out of you. He is addressing our intentions. See, sexuality, our sexuality is born of our minds, the intention of our minds, our desires, which comes from inside of us. Our talk is born out of the way we think. Now, a lot of us are pretty good at creating a distance between what we think and what will actually come out, right? Not all of us are good at that, but a lot of us have created it. And, 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 and you know what I'm saying. Some of you guys are saying things to yourselves right now you wouldn't dare utter in public. You'd be thinking something about the past right now. You're just not going to say it in public. But, but, but Paul is saying, I'm not just addressing what other people can hear or see, but what's, what's being born inside of you. And greed is the same way. Greed comes from your innate desire to want more than what you already have. So Paul, right off the bat, says, because of God's great love, this is how it should impact your life. Now, I know it sounds confusing because there's this massive shift in this beautiful, encouraging language that he's used. And now he's kind of like, he's getting to the heart of our lives, your sexuality, your thoughts, the way you talk, what you watch, what you spend money on, your secrets. And Paul's addressing that. And he'll go on addressing it over and over for the rest of Ephesians and on Galatians and Corinthians. He, all over the place, he'll address these things. At first glance, we are tempted, because we're Christians, we're tempted to say, oh, well, that's not us. But you have to understand that this letter was written not to evangelize, but instead to correct the church. Not to evangelize the unchurch, but instead to correct the church. And as such, I think it's appropriate because I think we need to get real and begin to accept that there are issues here that we've got to fix. But why? But why? See, here's what I've been saying over and over again, but I, I want to clarify it in, in, a, in a physical way. <laughs> I believe Paul wrote this book as a follow-up to the book of Mark. You've, you've heard me say that on time. Because Mark, the gospel of Mark, is, is very particular in painting Jesus as a suffering servant, someone who lays down his life as a sacrifice. That's why Paul kind of quotes it in here. He says, Jesus gave his life and gave himself up as a fragrant offering. The book of Mark talks about the suffering and, and humiliated Jesus as an example 
example of someone who would give it all up for the sake of others, and that he made this great sacrifice in order to pay for our past, for our sins. The book of Mark does it graphically and, and dramatically by saying Jesus came to, to suffer and, and to be humiliated and to be killed for the sake of us. And I think that, that it's beautiful and, and we have captured a lot of that. It's why you're here, most of us, because we believe that Jesus' death on the cross pays for our sins. Amen. We believe that his sacrifice was enough to save us. Amen. But now what? Now what? And Paul writes Ephesians here in beginning chapter 5. Paul essentially says, because of that, this is the now what. See, now you're going to connect the dots. In chapter 4 he says, so now you must put away that old life. Remember, no longer live the way you used to live, but take up a new life. Come alive. Come alive in Jesus Christ. In the same way that Jesus came alive from the resurrection, you must lay down the old life and come to live a new life. We call it being born again, being a born again Christian. And this new life, Paul says, must be distinctly different from your old life. So we've been sort of challenging ourselves here. How is my life different from my old life? Is it merely the fact that I'm in church here? Oh, by the way, I'm a Christian, as Pastor Caleb would say. Oh, yeah, I, in case you didn't know, I'm a Christian. Is my life very much the same as before? And, and Paul isn't looking here for exterior uh, um, visible markers. He's looking for internal, inside of you markers. He's asking how you think, how you feel, how you speak, the stuff that comes from outside of who you inside of who you really are. So he says, if we believe that Jesus Christ gave his life up as a fragrant offering, we must do the same. And we must be living a new life. One that is worthy of being a representative of Jesus Christ. Look at this, verse 8. For you were once in darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. So live as children of the light. For the fruit of light consists of all that is good, goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what is pleasing to the Lord. And have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by light becomes visible, for it is light that makes everything visible. Paul says, you must not longer live as children of the dark where, where we rather hide but a children of the light where everything is visible and transparent so ask yourself ask yourself are you willing to let the light shine on your life are you okay with that would you be afraid to let your secret things be known See, Paul is challenging us, and I want to do the same for you. I want to do three things today. I want to encourage you, challenge you, and empower you. Paul is challenging us here, and what he's helping us to understand is that we can't just be content with the idea that God has saved us and that we have a new life, that it must become an actual reality in our living. Amen. So Paul says, be imitators of Christ and live a life in the way of love as Christ lived it. This is the challenge for us. We cannot just be satisfied, satisfied with the idea that Jesus died and paid for my sins. I must now be convicted to do likewise. We use this language to be Christ-like, right? To be Christ-like. But Paul says being Christ-like isn't just a church thing. It's an everyday thing. 
and how you think, how you feel, how you act, what you say. That's where the Christ-likeness comes out of. And we must be challenged. We must be challenged to live in the way of Christ each and every day. So walk in the way of love, he says, the same way that Jesus loved. And how did he love? He gave himself up for us. The challenge we have for us today here, Paul is writing in these verses, is that he understands that God knows everything about us. He knows what is visible to others and what is hidden from others. And that God understands our weaknesses and our triumphs, but he is trying to redeem us from our weaknesses. And he is trying to change us. We call it the process of transformation. Now, transformation is not immediate. It doesn't happen overnight. But it is a process that, that, that has fruits. That's why Paul says here, as you begin to become transformed, you must go from darkness to light. And he creates this distinction. You notice that he says the fruits of the light are goodness, righteousness, and truth. And the, and the fruits of, of evil are sexual immorality, impurity, and greed. These three things in opposition. I want to make sure I point them out how this works. See, when we're living like Christ, goodness represents the way we treat others. Goodness means to treat like Godness. Goodness is Godness. How would God treat others? So as we are addressing our life in the daily, as the youth would say <laughs> in the daily how am I treating people the way that God would treat them or am I treating them am I treating them as a means to an end am I treating them because I want something from them a certain way how are you in your daily life at work at school at home how, how is your relationship with others do you see them as valuable, precious children of God? Or are they the people that you live life with in your way, a means to an end, somebody to be used? Paul says the way of the light is righteousness. And what righteousness means, means pursuing the things that God finds pure. The th and you guys know what righteousness is. Uh, There's faith, love, hope, kindness, generosity, forgiveness. The things that God finds true and pure. That's pursuing that. But, but, but in the darkness, Paul says impurity. Now he's in particularly concerned with sexual purity, but then he says all kinds of impurity. In fact, he says not even a hint of impurity should be found in your life. And what impurity is, and by the way, I don't need to spell it to you because when you were really young, you already knew very early on the difference between right and wrong. Amen? In fact, most of us know it's as we get older that we start thinking that the distance between right and wrong is a little closer than it should be. And we create this, and it's most difficult around our, our college years where things stop being black and white, not if you agree, and they become just kind of gray, right? And at first, it's black, white, and a little bit of gray, and the older you get, everything is just gray, right? Come on, parents. The older you get, everything just gray. And every, uh, the older you get, the more experiences you have, the more failures you encounter, then you start saying, well, uh, I could be this way, or it could be that way. Ah, you know, this is just a small thing. I'm not hurting anybody. Oh, I can stop anytime that I want. Paul says, not even a hint of impurity. We're not just talking about sexual purity. We're talking about all kinds of impurity. Dishonesty. Other improprieties. 
And it's fascinating here. Paul says not even a hint. Now, as we were talking first service, I, I, I made sure that we understood. Paul knows that we are weak, just like the song that we sing. Paul, Paul knows that we are sinners. But what Paul is saying here is the intention of our hearts is in this direction. And what he's trying to help us understand is that if we are comfortable, we become comfortable with living with a hint of impurity, it will eventually take over. If we get comfortable with an idea, it will eventually take over. I read a fascinating story this week. It kind of creeped me up. I'm just going to tell you. Uh, a woman in Detroit uh, had a grown daughter living with her who died back in November. But the mom, probably not being ready to let go, did not report the death. And uh, the body, the corpse, was in the house. Uh, I don't know how it must have felt the first week or two, but eight months later, when the police found out about it, she was still living with her daughter's corpse in the house, and she just kept covering it with blankets and more blankets and the windows with blankets so the neighbors wouldn't smell it. Can you imagine that? Eight months? When I, when I saw the headline, I thought, oh my gosh, how could somebody, but trust me, you do it a little bit at a time, you can get to eight months with a corpse in your house. In the same way that you let a little bit of impurity in your life and you just keep covering it with blankets. And before long, you're living with full-blown sin in your life that you are oblivious to. That's why Paul says we must diagnose, we must excise, we must cut, we got to address. We've got to deal with this. What impurities are in your life? What impurities are you comfortable with and you've just gotten used to? And they no longer smell bad. They no longer catch your attention. When, at what point did you get comfortable with this dead body in your house? And you're just going to keep doing it, living it this way. Paul says, look, if we're going to follow and be children of the light, if we're going to obey Jesus Christ, then we've got to do as he did and confront sin as sin. No amens for that. Even with a long dramatic pause. I get it. I get it. This is tough. It is tough because Paul is actually dealing with what's happening inside of my heart, in my mind, what's happening in my thoughts. Not just the visible things. I got, this, I got the shirt and the tie. Not just the easy stuff. Paul is dealing with the dirty stuff. So I want to do three things for you today. I want to encourage you first, then challenge you and empower you. Here, listen. Listen carefully. Right before he starts on this, and you know, he's just getting right into it, Paul says a, a very significant statement that I, I don't want you to leave today without hearing it and, and claiming it for yourself. Listen, chapter 5, verse 1. He says, Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children. Dearly loved children. Before we begin to look at what's happening in our lives, before we begin to addressing the issues, this is what we must understand. We must understand the truth about who we are. We are dearly loved children of God. Amen. Amen. We are dearly loved children of God. See, Paul would, never, Paul would never address any of these things if he didn't care about us. God would never look at these things in our lives if he didn't care. Just like I and you as parents, we would never correct our children if we didn't care about them. If they didn't matter to us, then we just let them do whatever they want to do. But they matter, right? 
That's why we spend time addressing. That's why we spend time correcting. That's why we say, no, that's not how you do it. You do it this way. Listen, I'm going to have to discipline you here because I have to protect you from going down this road. And that's why Paul says, before you understand God's correction and his challenges, the first thing you've got to get into your heart and your mind is accept the truth paid for at the cross that you are dearly loved children of God. So I want you to claim it. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to turn to the person next to you and say, look him in the eye, square in the eye, and say, you are a child of God. And look at him again this time. Listen, listen. <laughs> look at them again this time. Take a deep breath and tell him, and he loves you deeply. And let the words echo in your heart. If you don't understand this truth about yourself, listen, family, stay with me. If you don't understand this truth about yourself, then the cross is for naught. The whole book of Mark goes out the window. If you don't understand that the reason Jesus Christ comes and gives his life is because you are his child and that he loves you deeply, desperately, then everything that he does is for naught. And if you continue your life, living your life, even as you're addressing things, but not understanding that you are the deeply loved child of God, then you will get nowhere. There is no motivation that will run out quicker than just trying to be perfect for perfect sake. There's no motivation that will run out faster than trying to be the best Adventist for Adventism's sake. It will lead you nowhere. The only one changing truth that modifies us is when we understand our true identity who we really are, and you are a child of God, and He loves you deeply. It's what motivates everything that He says and does. It's why He gave up His throne in the heavens and came down and suffered and was humiliated and eventually killed so that you would know how much He loves you. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son. You see that? It is motivated by His love. So I want to encourage you. Everything that we're talking about is built on this premise that God does it because He loves you, because you matter to Him, and that He would do anything to rescue you, even if it's rescuing you from yourself. As you're facing the world this week, as you're being challenged with your own failings, listen, listen, as, as you try to do something and you, you mess up, speak it out. Look into the mirror and say it to yourself. You're a child of God, and He loves you deeply. You're a child of God, and He loves you deeply. It's not meant to make you feel guilty. It's not, it's not meant to shame you. It's meant to encourage you so you know your true worth. I believe that God is trying desperately to, to relay this message in our world today because in our world today, that's the one constant we keep getting, that we are not up to par, that we don't measure up, that we are not worth. Shame, shame, shame is everywhere. Shame is everywhere. Everyone is getting slammed. Everyone is getting blasted for this or for that, for the other thing. Shame, shame is everywhere. And into that void steps God and he says, but not on you. For I will take all the shame and all the humiliation because you are my child and I love you deeply. That's what matters. And as you begin to grasp God's love, then, then you can challenge the things that need to be changed in your life.
And Paul makes these challenges here very clear. He says, no impurity, sexual immorality, impurity, or greed. You got to look in your life. I can't do it for you. No one can. Only you can. And I must do it for myself. And say, God, mm, I got to cut this part out. If we're going to change life, listen, we got to stop doing some things and start doing some things, right? You, you don't have a transformation. There's no before and after picture unless you stop doing some things and start doing some things. Right, friends? At the beginning of every year, okay, this year we're going to do, we stop doing some things, start doing you, you, you don't have a before and after. There's no transformation unless there's changes. Without changes, there can be no transformation. And as you begin this transformation, Paul says, here's some challenges. No impurity, no sexual immorality. Listen, no partnering with people that are disobedient. I'm going to talk to young people really quick. Those of you guys that are in college age, I'm just going to tell you the truth. You're a child of God. God deeply loves you. And you're out there. And some of us are misguided into thinking, I'm going to hang out with these friends because I'm going to influence them positively. And God doesn't say you can't minister to them, but he is saying you can't partner up with them. And here's what I mean by that. If you're ministering, if you're a blessing, by all means, in the name of Jesus, I empower you to go. But if you're over there hanging out, thinking that it's not going to splash on you, if you're over there saying, oh, yeah, I can handle this, you're going to be quickly overrun. The devil is smarter and stronger than you are on your own. That's why Paul says it's not worth the risk. You're a child of God. God deeply loves you. He paid on the cross for that. But now, but now, you must represent him. So love them the way Jesus loved them. Jesus hung out with people to minister to them, but he didn't partner with them. He didn't start doing the things that they did Start going to the places that they went for the sake of the things that they were interested. So be careful. Listen, listen, Paul says, he literally says this. So then be very careful in how you live, not as unwise, but as wise. He's challenging us. He's challenging us. He's saying here, look, you, you, you can't fool yourself into thinking that you've got this. If it's dangerous for you, stay away. If this is an area of weakness... Stay away. If when you hang out with your friends, you end up behaving differently, then maybe you ought to keep your distance. Right, parents? Come on, some parents got to back me up here. Don't leave me hanging out here. You're like, tell them, Pastor. Tell them. Yeah, you tell them too. Your job too. I hated it. I'll be honest with you guys. I hated it. My mom said it to me. My parents said it to me. They said, Dime con quién andas y te diré, te diré quién eres, right? Ah, oh, you're like, ah, oh, I hate that one. It's like, tell me who you're hanging out with and I'll tell you who you are. And I would tell her, I would tell my mom, but you don't know, I'm a righteous child. I said, I do good things. And my mom would go, hmm. Look, I just know I've been pushed to the edge time and time again because pride goeth before the fall, as they say. Overconfidence and your ability to stand up to the devil is just overconfidence. Minister to them in the name of Jesus, but don't partner with them in the things that they're doing. Even if you think you're doing it as a ministry. Challenging stuff. It's just the truth. And Paul is very clear here, by the way, in case there was any doubts out there, I'm just going to call it out. He says, and by the way, live as wise, not as unwise. Don't get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. In our Adventist churches, in our Christian churches, people said a little wine, a little here, a little there. It's all cool. Everybody's cool. Margaritaville. 
Jimmy Buffett. <laughs> Cheeseburger in Paradise. Nobody? Okay. But Paul's very clear. He's like, you're messing with that. It's going to mess with you. The word debauchery here, people are like, what is that? It, it means excess. It means with alcohol, you will go further than you think you want to go. Because you're not, no longer in control. You know this. I'm not telling you anything you don't know. But what I'm challenging you to do here is to live a life worthy of who you are. Who you've been called to be. Don't shortchange yourself. You are not just another person, another worthless nobody that nobody cares about. You are a child of God and he loves you deeply and he paid for your life with a price. So live a life worthy of the calling that you have received. And then I want to empower you. Paul says, live carefully. I don't mean cautiously, like, oh, I don't want to do anything. He just says carefully. Live carefully, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. His words. Listen, family, we live in a world that's messed up. And tomorrow is not guaranteed for any one of us. Every day I look in the mirror and I know the day is closer. It's just the truth. So Paul says, make the most of every opportunity. I believe that we need to live with today in mind for the sake of the future. We can't wait till tomorrow to start doing the good that we think we ought to do. We can't say someday, sometime in the future. We must seize today, even in small ways. Win today for Jesus. Win today for Jesus. Take up this day. Let this day be the day you reconcile that relationship. Let this day be the day you say, Mom, I'm sorry. I disrespected you. Dad, I'm sorry, I made a mistake. Let this be the day you say, son, I spoke out of turn, and I was too proud to admit I was wrong. I'm sorry. Let this day be the day you finally, you finally take the opportunity. Make the most of every opportunity, Paul says. He says, be not drunk on wine, but instead filled with the Spirit. And I'm going to give you some empowering words. Paul says, look, th this is what happens when we follow ourselves. And, and God wants to do this. And the difference between here and there is this approach. It's very simple. Listen to this. It's chapter 5. He says, <clears throat> instead, I, uh, uh, sorry, chapter 5. He says, <clears throat> Be careful that how you live, not as wise, not as unwise, but wise. Therefore, don't be foolish. Understand God's will. Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. The difference and the distance created by pursuing our own interests and pursuing the, 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 the things of God is in the praising, in the singing. I'm going to empower you here. Listen, if you're not sure how to do it, begin praising God in your heart. Make music in your heart. As you're facing some challenges, oh, I'm not sure I should do this, say, begin to sing the songs that we sing. That's what we do in church. What do you think we're doing? We're building these songs like seeds into your heart so as you face the devil this week, when he challenges you, you say, no, no, no. I am a child of God. Yes, I am. That's why we sing so that you can have these songs in your heart so that you can tell the devil at the point of attack, not today. Not today. Sing and make music. Speak to one another, he says, in psalms, spiritual songs. Rather than addressing ourselves with judgments and criticism, Paul says, live in the way that Jesus lived. Yes, he called it like it was, but never without his full love. 
Go and sin no more because neither I condemn you. You see that? Paul is inviting us to follow in the footsteps of Jesus. So I'm going to empower you right now. Listen, sing a song of gratitude in your heart. As you leave this place, as you hear the songs that we're going to sing, I'm going to invite the worship team to come and, and sing with me. Let, let them soak over you and sing a song. Make music in your heart. It is what will guide you away from self-interest into sacrifice for others. Praise God in your heart with thanksgiving for God is good. Amen. For God has been good and he will continue to be good because God loves you deeply. There's not a moment that goes by that he does not think about you, that he doesn't worry about you, that he doesn't cry and suffer when you suffer. There's not a moment that goes by that he wouldn't give everything all up again just for you. That's how much he loves you. And so he's there. He's ready. He's willing. He's available. And when we recognize that with thanksgiving, we harness it for ourselves and for the sake of others so that we can seize this day and finally and finally be kind and compassionate to one another. So we can finally say, I forgive you. You hurt me, but I forgive you. I cancel the debts that were owed to me for you are a child of God and he loves you deeply. Let's stand and praise God.